Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. When first being introduced to a new individual in our daily lives, one of the most common questions that we will ask them is, What do you do? What do you do with your time? What do you do in order to make a living? This is a very common question that we will ask, and depending on the answer that a person gives, we can normally determine an awful lot about this individual. And so it can be a very important question. What a person has chosen to do for a living can tell us something about their character, about their values, about the kinds of things that they are interested in, about the kinds of things that they find that are important in their life and in the lives of others. Quite often people will choose careers or they will choose jobs that they believe are important to them and to those who are around them and so that they can be a contributing member to their society. And so it tells us about how they have chosen to integrate within the society that they have before them And it will tell us about their values as well in terms of what they feel is important in a person's daily life. Quite often a career or a particular job can tell us an awful lot about an individual when it comes to questions such as these. Some forms of employment do require a significant amount of education. If that's the case, then it tells us that this individual chose to spend a significant amount of time out of their life to learn how to do something very important, something very specific. It will tell us that this person started and actually finished something very important and devoted a lot of effort in order to accomplish what they have accomplished. And so this is a very important question that we quite often will ask each other in order to try to get a better understanding of the personalities and the persons that we are interacting with. Now, in many cases, we can make assumptions that are not true, and that is a significant risk when talking with people and asking them questions about their daily lives. It's very easy to make assumptions about people that simply are not true and to assume that there are certain values that an individual has or specific interests that they have. And so you have to be very careful because you don't want to make false assumptions and presume things that simply may not be true. A person may have been more of a victim of circumstance than a decider of their own destiny. In many cases, that's true in many people's lives. And so people have just simply tried to do what they could do in the midst of the circumstances that they were in, even though they have made significant attempts throughout their life to try to improve their quality of life or improve their involvement in other people's lives. But because of life circumstances, many of which quite likely were outside of their control, They find themselves in a position in their time of life where you meet them and they are not satisfied with their life experience, but what they are doing right now is what they can do in order to sustain themselves and their families. But this question is at least a beginning to introduce yourself to someone, have them introduce themselves to you, and to begin to establish a relationship so that you can grow to understand each other much more and enjoy the company of one another. But consider for a moment the person who has asked this question and how they might feel about being asked this question, what do you do? 
because we all know that people are going to make assumptions about us as a person when they find out what we have chosen to do with our time in order to participate in the society that we are a part of. If you're involved in something that you don't enjoy, you may hesitate to tell someone what you really do, and when you do reveal what you do for a living, you may qualify it with something like, I don't enjoy what I'm doing, but this is what I am able to do right now, or I have plans for other things in the future, and so we will generally qualify our statements and our identification with ourselves in order to ensure that a proper set of values are conveyed to the individual who is questioning us and so that there is clarity and so people will have a greater understanding of who we are instead of relying on any assumptions that they might make because of previous stereotypes or experiences that they have had in their individual lives. What we choose to do for a living is very important to us as individuals because in many cases we will assume an identity amongst ourselves based on what we do. I'll give you an example. If someone is a plumber, then their identification is someone who is a plumber. If a person is a dentist, then a person's identification is being a dentist. If someone was to ask you who you are, how often would you reply by saying, I am a person who does this, or I am a person who does that? We often identify ourselves by what we do, And so many people will identify us also by what we do. Our actions are significant to the society that we are a part of, and in general, our identification as a person and as a participant in the culture that we engage with is based on our activity, is based on what we do, and so our identity is wrapped up in that. And so if that's the case, then people will judge each other. We will judge others. Others will judge us by what we do, regardless of who we are on the inside, regardless of what is really important to us. This is unfortunate, but it is something that we deal with, that everyone deals with to one extent or another. This is a very important thing to recognize, that our identity as an individual is quite often dependent on our actions, is quite often dependent on our participation in the society that we engage in. And other people will consider our identity based on our actions, or we will consider our identity based on our actions. And so when we introduce ourselves to others, we will refer to ourselves as, Hi, I am Joe the plumber, or I am John the dentist, or I am so-and-so the attorney, or I am so-and-so the teacher. These are identifications that we make, and we associate each other with these identities and make assumptions or establish personal value on individuals as a result of what they do in order to participate in the society that they are a part of. Our identity is very important when it comes to these things because the degree of acceptance that we receive from other individuals can depend on to what degree we actually participate in our society. The amount of acceptance that we are able to receive from others can be very well connected to what we do for others. And this, of course, is very important because we were designed to have a need for acceptance. We were designed to have a need for acceptance from others, from someone else outside of ourselves. And so if our acceptance is dependent on other people, then our acceptance is also dependent on what we do in order to get other people to accept us. This is very unfortunate, but based on the sinful nature of humanity, that's what we deal with on a daily basis.
So what do you do if you don't feel very accepted by other people? Well, you may consider changing careers. You may consider trying to get a different job or learn how to do something different so that you can feel a sense of acceptance from others. I personally do not believe that that is a good reason to choose what we are going to do or what we are not going to do, but I do know that many people do make their decisions on this basis. But then what happens if you find yourself involved in something that you do enjoy and you are receiving a great deal of acceptance from others because of the services that you provide for others? If that's the case, then what happens when you lose your job? What happens if you find it difficult to find work in that area? What happens when you find it difficult to find work to be able to continue performing that service? What happens then? What happens to you as an individual? What happens to you as a person? How are others going to look at you then? Are they going to look at you as a failure, as a person who once was but now is not? Is that going to be the effect of transitioning from one form of employment to another? In fact, in most cases, many people do struggle with this. This is a very significant struggle when it comes to employment and how it relates to a person's individual life, their personal identity, how they feel about themselves, and how they feel that they can interact with other people in the world that they are a part of. It is a significant issue, and it's something that we do struggle with on a daily basis or we see others struggling with on a daily basis. If a person's identity as an individual, if a person's being, if a person's value is determined by what they do, then their value will be lost as soon as they stop doing what they were doing. And so there are several dependencies that a person may experience in their own heart that are directly attached to or associated with their involvement in their society based on what they do for a living or what they do in order to help someone else make a living. If they are a spouse who stays at home and cares for those things that the other is going out to go and acquire so that the whole family can enjoy life and improve the quality of life for each other. When life changes, when there are changes in our lives, there will most likely be an identity crisis associated with those changes. An identity crisis in the sense that we no longer know who we are. We no longer know or understand what our place is in the society that we are a part of. Quite often we will struggle with the need that we have for acceptance and for meaning and for purpose and even for love from other individuals that we thought we received because of who we were before, but we are no longer that person now because we are no longer able to do what we were doing before. These are significant issues, and people really go through major crises in their personal lives when these changes happen in their life. And these changes always happen. You will either lose a job, either because of your own failures, or perhaps because of the failure of someone else. Or perhaps the job just simply comes to an end because the service is no longer required. You could suffer from significant health problems that would require you to no longer perform the kind of work that you were performing before, or you would no longer be able to because of a disability. What would happen if you were to retire and no longer perform that work anymore? What would people think of you then as a person, as an individual, as someone who is contributing to your society, or in this case would no longer really be contributing to your society? How would other people view you? How would you view yourself? These are important questions that we deal with, and they have to do with our identity as a person. And when life changes, we are often faced with a major identity crisis. 
that shows itself with these various concerns that we have deep down inside, needs that we have as individuals, and these needs were given to us by our God when he created us. There certainly is nothing wrong with having these needs for being accepted and to have meaning and purpose. The problem is, is that we had a misplaced dependency, or we looked into the world in order to try and have these needs met by the world. It was a misplaced dependency, and so when the change occurs, if we're fortunate, we'll be able to recognize that we had a misplaced dependency, and with an understanding of that, we can redirect our dependency to where it belongs, which is to the Lord our God, our personal individual relationship with Christ Jesus, that it is He who loves us perfectly and accepts us perfectly, that it is through our relationship with Him that we have the true purpose that we have a need for in our daily lives, that it is through the wisdom that He grants to us that we have meaning and understanding in our life experience as we engage the world that He created. The moments of having an identity crisis are certainly a wonderful opportunity for us to grow closer to our God if we will recognize that it is an opportunity and we will make a choice to turn to the living God to be redirected towards him in the midst of the crisis that we are experiencing. I personally believe that one of the most profound examples of an identity crisis is described in Genesis chapter 4 in the life of Cain. I sincerely believe that Cain experienced a very profound identity crisis, one that began with his mother conveying something to him about the promise of God and that perhaps he would be the one who would fulfill the promise that was given to her by God in Genesis chapter 3. I believe that this is a very good example in the scriptures, and so in this broadcast I would like to take some time looking over the life of Cain very carefully, especially as it relates to the life of his parents, Adam and Eve, with regards to their failure in the Garden of Eden and the promise that was given to them by their God, with regards to how he would overcome their failures that they experienced when they were kicked out of the Garden, and how Cain was caught up in this expectation that Adam and Eve had with regards to how their God would fulfill the prophecy that he had given to them with regards to how he would reunite himself with humanity. You see, in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve sinned by violating the law of God, by eating from the wrong tree, when they sinned, they died. They died spiritually in the very day that they ate from the wrong tree, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And as a result of that, the Lord their God kicked them out of the garden. He kicked them out of the garden and told them that they would have to work for the rest of their lives, that they would have to go out and do things, In order to sustain themselves, they would not be able to turn to the Lord their God in the way that they turned to him before, that their whole life changed as a result of their decision, and they would now have to experience the consequences of their decision. The Lord described this change in Genesis chapter 3 in the curses that he presented to Adam and Eve. For example, in Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 17, he describes the curse that was given to Adam. The curse given to Adam, beginning in Genesis chapter 3, verse 17, says, Then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread, Till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. 
The Lord our God describes the curse to Adam that the ground would be cursed and that Adam would have to work for the bread that he would eat. He would have to work for the food that he would need in order to sustain himself and to sustain his family. That he would work very hard to the extent where he would sweat as a result of the labor that he would have to involve himself in. This is the curse that was given to Adam. The curse that was given to Eve was described just above that in Genesis chapter 3 verse 16. Beginning in Genesis chapter 3 verse 16, to the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children. Yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. For Eve, there were three curses that were described in Genesis chapter 3 verse 16. The first, that she would experience pain in childbirth. The second, that she would have a desire for her husband. And the third, that he would rule over her. These were curses that were given to Eve as a consequence of the decision that she made. The good news in the midst of this was that our God provided them a prophecy explaining to them that he would bring about reconciliation between himself and humanity, between himself and them and their children. He would bring about reconciliation. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the prophecy is given where it says, beginning in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. The Lord is referring to the serpent, the devil, who deceived Eve, and that the woman would bring forth a child, and that our God would bring enmity or a division between the corrupted seed of humanity and himself, so that he would bring forth someone who would then bruise the serpent on the head, and the serpent would effectively bruise his heel. I believe that this is a prophecy that describes how our God would bring about the Messiah and what the Messiah would do in order to bring about reconciliation between us and our God. And so when you consider this, you can see that Adam and Eve received the prophecy from the Lord their God that he would bring about the Messiah in order to reconcile humanity to himself, But in the meantime, the woman would experience certain penalties or consequences as a result of her choice, and the man would also, Adam, would receive certain consequences as a result of his choice, and they would have to experience the penalty for their decisions that they made when they ate from the wrong tree of the knowledge of good and evil. As you continue to read into Genesis chapter 4, you then see the birth of Cain. This is described in Genesis chapter 4 beginning in verse 1. Now the man had relations with his wife, Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. Well, in this version it says, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. Other versions say that I have brought forth a man for the Lord or to the Lord. There are different translations of Genesis chapter 4 verse 1. But take a moment and consider this in context of the prophecy that their God just recently gave to them. The Lord God gave a prophecy to Eve. He gave it to both Adam and Eve, but he told Eve that he would bring about the Messiah through her, through the conception that a woman would experience and the child that would be born would be the Messiah. That was a prophecy that was given to her. Would it be unrealistic to consider that Eve possibly thought that the Lord was referring to her? Could it be that Eve assumed that the Lord God was referring to her when he gave the prophecy of the Messiah. 
that the Messiah would actually be God manifested in the flesh, that there would be an immaculate conception as a result of the intervention of the living God into the lives of humanity, such that he would bring forth a child from a woman due to his intervention in the pregnancy to the extent where the child who would be born would be God manifested in the flesh, who would be the Messiah, who would provide for the forgiveness of all of our sins, who would reconcile us to himself. We do know that he was going to do that, and he did do that through the Lord Jesus Christ. The difficulty, however, was that he did that 4,000 years after he gave the prophecy to Eve. Could it be that Eve assumed that the prophecy was for her and not for some other lady who would be born 4,000 years later? Would that be an unrealistic assumption? Consider your life today, for example. If the Lord your God came to you and spoke to you personally and gave you a very profound prophecy about how he was going to intervene in your life and in the lives of those who are around you, in the lives of those people who are very important to you, or perhaps even the entire world. If he gave you a prophecy that told you that he would work within and through you in a specific way, would you expect him to fulfill that prophecy 4,000 years later? Would you consider that that might be when he would fulfill the prophecy that he gives to you? Or would you perhaps assume that he would do it in your life maybe four years later, or 40 years later at the most, but certainly not 4,000 years later? If that was the case, then why would he bother telling you at all? I would think that that would be a legitimate question to ask in the midst of circumstances such as that. And so I believe it would not be unrealistic to think that Eve might have been thinking that the Lord was referring to her and that she was going to bring forth the Messiah. I believe that she did think that way, that that is what she did believe. And the reason why I believe that is because of a more correct translation of Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. In Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, I would like to start with the name Cain. The name actually had a meaning. The name Cain had a meaning. The meaning was, here he is. It is an exclamation that someone specific has arrived that someone of great importance, that someone of great value has finally showed up as a result of what she went through. I believe that she was looking to Cain as being someone who was very specific and that quite likely she was thinking of him as being the person who God referred to in Genesis chapter 3 when he told her that the Messiah would come forth from her. I believe that she thought that Cain was in fact the Messiah, but not just because of his name, because as you continue to read in the end of verse 1, her statement was that I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord in this version, but a more correct translation of this sentence is that I have brought forth a man at a cost to myself who is the Lord. There is no preposition there in the original Hebrew. Now, in Hebrew, we do have prepositions. We do have ways of writing with the help of the Lord or for the Lord or to the Lord. We have ways of writing these prepositions, but there was no preposition given in this sentence. There is a word that is used that people have translated as a preposition, but they have done so incorrectly. The word that they have translated is actually called a Hebrew particle that is used in order to help us identify what the direct object is in a sentence. Now, there are ways of deriving prepositions 
from that word, and we have several examples of that throughout the scriptures, of course, in the language of Hebrew. But that is not what is recorded here. What is recorded here is not a derived preposition. It is, in fact, the Hebrew particle, a very popular word in the language. It is used in order to help us identify the direct object of a sentence. And so in this case, what she truly said was that I have brought forth a man at a cost to myself who is God. That is a way of saying that she thought she gave birth to the Messiah, who would be God manifested in the flesh. And the name that she gave him was a name of an announcement of here he is. Here is the Messiah that was promised to us. I have gone through the pain of childbearing. I have a desire for my husband, and he is ruling over me. I am experiencing the curses that God gave to me as a result of my choice and my decision to eat from the wrong tree. I have experienced that. I have done that. I have done precisely what the Lord told me I would have to do. And so here he is. Here is the Messiah. Here is the one who is going to bring reconciliation about. He is going to set everything straight. Everything is now going to be solved and restored. And so we will be able to go back to the life that we once had with our God before we sinned in the Garden of Eden. That's what she was thinking. And I say that because of the name that she gave Cain and because of the assumption that she made that Cain was the Messiah. Now, Cain was obviously not the Messiah. We know that. There's no question about that whatsoever. But at this time in Eve's life, this is what she believed. She was obviously wrong, but this is what she believed, and this is what was recorded in Genesis chapter 4. What we have recorded in Genesis chapter 4 is a clear description of what Eve believed, and so that we can have a better understanding of how she would relate to her son Cain. You can just imagine how she would then relate to her son Cain as he would continue to grow up, what she would tell him about the prophecy that their God gave to her, and that she believed that he was God manifested in the flesh, the Messiah, who would bring about reconciliation between them and their God. She would be relating to him an identity that would turn out not to be true, and when that takes place, we then can continue to read to see what he does in response to his personal identity crisis. And I will tell you about that in the next broadcast. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net you